0: welcome to season two of the practicing presence podcast where spiritual formation is fueled through a variety of practices rather than a single prescriptive time of devotion where we discuss different spiritual practices that help us be more present with god others and ourselves what's going on practitioners what's up friends how are we doing so, we have been going through a series about Visio Divina, seeing with divine eyes. Um, we talked about just generally the way that we're classifying Visio Divina, which is looking at things divinely. Um, then we kind of got a little bit more specific, talked about art, <coughs> we talked about architecture. And now we're going to talk about um, the human body as a thing of beauty.
1: I got to preface. I don't think very many people are talking about Vizio Divino this way. No, I don't think so. Um, but it naturally makes a lot of sense because... What are some of, and we talked about this in the art episode, but what are some of the most world, like some of the most famous pieces of art?
0: They're of the human body.
1: They are of the human body.
0: Or human beauty. Yeah. Human beauty.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's a better way to communicate that.
0: Yeah. Um, Because the Mona Lisa, it's not actually about her body. It's just about her beauty.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. That's true. The David is absolutely about his body and physique sure. and mm-hmm. those kinds of things.
0: And then lots of Greek architecture and things like
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um <clears throat> Anyways, I don't think very many people are talking about the body like the human body as a source for visio divina, but it makes sense. I mean, it's a pretty common motif To see in film where you have anyone that's connected to instructional art for them to have a nude model that they have to either draw or paint or something in their art class. Mm -hmm. Admiring and recreating the beauty of the human body or human beauty, as you've said, in art is an age-old tradition. Yeah. Um and so doesn't it make sense that if Visio Divina can be practiced on art, that it can also be practiced on human beauty. Mm-hmm. Now <clears throat> so what does it mean to look upon a human with divine eyes? Mm.
0: I think it can mean many things.
1: Hit me with it. What do you um, think it can mean? Because we are kind of making this up.
0: We are kind of making this up as we go. Uh, not really as we go. We've kind of talked no, about this. No, we've
1: talked about this. We're not making but, it up as we go. But, but
0: like, we, this is... I've I, never heard anybody having this conversation
1: before. I've never heard of anybody talk about Vizio Divina this way.
0: Um, I think that there is an element of human beauty that you can physically see... About their physical body, literally inside their physical body, and the inner workings of the human body as it functions and works, their actual physical outside beauty, and what they do with the body as beautiful. dance, um, posing for photography, um, making love, making love, um, even down to like serving and working and like just the things that you do with your body, caring, caring, <clears throat> you know, can be very beautiful and, you couldn't do these things without your body. It's a central part of how you're doing these things. It's true. And so, like, I, I see three elements of human beauty the inner workings, the outer workings, and what you do with it. Or the inner workings, what it looks like, and the outer workings is probably how we should talk about that. How you work with your body.
1: Yeah, I agree. Here's my preface, and then I'll expand, and we can continue talking about this. It is true. The human body is quite gorgeous. It is beautiful. It is magnificent, truly. Um, and I think it should be admired. I think the biblical authors would agree with us in this Conversation. If they were here having
0: Song of Solomon's, bro. <laughs> yeah, he
1: names her breast. Yeah. Um, I think they would agree with us. But I think Jesus would also agree with us that looking upon a human can also be a dangerous journey with your eyes. Jesus reminds us of lust um, in his Sermon on the Mount. One of his most iconic speaking moments, some of the premier space right there in the beginning of the sermon, opening part of chapter five, after the Beatitudes, it moves into salt and light and let your yeses be yes and your noes be no, follow the beginning of or right around chapter six. But some of the premier real estate right after salt and light right there is dedicated to a conversation of lust, sexual immorality and divorce. And oaths. And they go in that kind of natural progression because it's a sermon, right? Those are easy building points. That conversation about lust, I think, is very pertinent to this conversation because lust is literally looking upon the human body with an inappropriate intent. Mm-hmm. But divine vision is also looking upon something for its beauty. And it being appropriate. Mm-hmm. So what makes it inappropriate?
0: Many things. Um, lack of consent.
1: Okay. That's a great um, one.
0: General disrespect of the thing. Lack um, of
1: care and appreciation. Yep.
0: Uh, Physical abuse of the thing, which I think falls under lack of care and appreciation but like needs to be noted okay abusing the image of God like yep um, only seeing what you get out of out of this thing. Selfishness. So
1: I wrap all of this. You're so right. You're hitting it. I wrap all of this up under the pretty bow label of objectification. Mm. It's the lack of relationship between the human being admired and the eyes doing the admiring. When it's no longer a relate, when it's a very real human, right? This is why art makes it acceptable. Because you're looking upon an inanimate object. That's no longer a relationship, a human, a soul that I have to care for. Mm. It's a thing that is literally created for me to look at. Mm -hmm. That human is not created for you to look at. That human is created to be in relationship with other humans. And so it's the relationship between the one being gazed upon and the one doing the gazing that makes it appropriate or inappropriate. And Jesus terms that difference lust. That's what Jesus calls lust. And so I want to say that, right? Because I can say, hey, you can have divine eyes. um, And the thing, and you can look at human beings with those eyes. And in looking at human beings with those eyes, and the things that human beings do with those eyes, and making love be one of the things that you should admire about a human. But you're doing that with someone that you don't have a relationship with, and that's called prostitution, and that's not okay. That's no longer divine. That's evil. Um, It's the relationship. First and foremost, what I want to say is if we're going to have any conversation about divine eyes being something that you can do to a person, then the first thing you have to see is a human being that you have to be in relationship with. Before you can see anything else, you have to see a human being that has needs and expectations from you that you better meet before you take anything from them. Yeah. The next thing I would say is absolutely, once you have that relationship and you are managing and caring for that relationship, there are lots of things in lots of different relationship silos Mm-hmm. that I think you can do by admiring the human body. I have friends that when I see them, Hey, you look great today. Men and women, mm-hmm. friends haven't, you know, I'm not gay. So no, no shade. If you are, um, I'm just not, so I'm not attracted to any men, but I even have friends that I'm like, not really trying to hit on you. Just want to affirm you and say, you look great today. Um,
0: there, there is such a thing as a metrosexual that, like, you like to look good. Yeah, it's fine. And so you like to care for your body in, in this way and, like, look, look nice. I feel like you and I both mostly fall in that metrosexual category. And, like, we like to look nice. And, therefore, it is also nice when people compliment that you look nice.
1: Well, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess so. It's just, you know, do unto others. You have them do, um, yeah. do unto you. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, if I want people to tell me I look good, which, you know, when I want to, yeah, you absolutely want that affirmation. So, yeah, you tell other people they look great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, like even in friendship silos, like I think it's appropriate to admire the beauty of a human. Um, and that being a human that I'm in relationship with and I care about and I watch them struggle and conquer and triumph and have victories and kill it with a magnificent outfit dressed to the nines on Monday morning. Yeah. And that's great for me to affirm. And then those relationships can go into romantic relationships, which you no longer have the objectification issue because I am in relationship with this person and I'm caring for this person. And so now we can look at the human body in an attraction Mm. conversation and admire it as something created by God to be admired and appreciated by other humans in this way. That is what I think the truth of Genesis 1 is. The first command that God ever gives in Genesis 1 to humans is not to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's not to go work the ground, it's to be fruitful and multiply. It's to have sex. The human body is created for this purpose. Mm -hmm. And so to admire someone in that vein, but this is what I said when we introduced it in the conversation about art, is it's appropriate for you to do this with your spouse. It's not appropriate for you to do this with a prostitute Mm -hmm. Um, or an exploited or objectified person. I do not think it's appropriate to do this with a one-night stand. I personally have an ethic where I think that sex outside of a marital covenant in a modern world is acceptable. I don't think that like purity is like the only way to do this. But I personally don't like I think one-night stands are objectification. Mm. I still think that is objectification. So like each person has to listen to their own body and the things that God is telling them about navigating these ethical concerns. But like one night stands are even off limits for me. Even though I'm like have a, even if it's only a temporary relationship that I have to manage with this person, still feels objectifying. Mm. But as you go about doing this and managing these relationships, you can come into this place where you get to admire the human body. And part of that is having sex. Part of that is getting to admire the human body in its fullness, which right? I mind you, is also its most vulnerable. Yeah. And so I say that to highlight again the importance of the care aspect. You cannot approach a human. I just do not think if we're making this stuff up, which we are, you cannot approach a human with any attempt at Visio Divina if you do not have that relationship between you and the more of the beauty of the human that you get to see the more care and expectations you should have on yourself mm. because the more beautiful the more vulnerable that's, how it, that's that's how to be true or to be fair that's how the art world exists the more beautiful the more vulnerable Think about those. um, What are those eggs? Um, Those fancy eggs that are like have all the jewels on them. They're. Oh. um,
0: Piaget eggs? Or like it's not. Fabergé Fabergé eggs. Fabergé.
1: Uh, Some of the most immaculate art in the world, some of the most value in the world. Also, some of the most vulnerable. Um, Art. Extremely vulnerable. So much so that ancient art is kept in certain boxes with specific humidity because it's so vulnerable. And it fades over time, right? We were talking about um, uh, certain reds and things fading over time. Some of the most beautiful and most valuable are also the most vulnerable. And so if you're going to speak about the human as a work of art, which I think you should, Mm -hmm. and that work of art in its entirety, inside, outside, you know, in its entirety should be cared for and admired, but it always has to be cared for. Yeah. The first thing that we have to see when we look at a human is a human that has very real relational needs and expectations of me. This is not a yeah. this is not an inanimate object. This is not a piece of art that I get to gaze upon and gawk at.
0: Well, and there's also a, a physical element to um the needs of the human body as well. The human body requires food. Yes. It requires water.
1: Um it also requires movement.
0: It also it does. It well also, for
1: for its fullness of health, it right. requires movement.
0: It is a it is a very delicate thing mm-hmm. that it's constantly fighting to stay in perfect balance.
1: Yeah. So what do you
0: mean by that? Um the body is designed to um stay in equilibrium. Like it is designed to constantly try to do that thing. This is why cancer becomes a thing. Right, because it, it overproduces cells because it, the body is telling is not responding in a certain way. And so it, it thinks that it needs to create more cells and more cells and more cells. And that's how you build tumors. And th- this is the, the body is designed to try to stay in perfect balance. And so when it's not, when it, you're not doing the things that you're supposed to do, and sometimes it just happens at random, genetically speaking. But. The body in in its perfect form is designed to stay in balance, in equilibrium. That in and of itself is a beautiful story. That God created us in his image, which is perfectly balanced. Yeah. Our physical bodies, this thing. Is created in the image of god which also means it is created in balance now there are there are things that end up happening like cancer like um physical ailments of some kind and some physical deformities that happen genetically um because of this thing called death And the experiences of death. Um, But it doesn't make the human body any less beautiful either. Because it's constantly... It is still fighting. It's doing its best. You said earlier off camera that the body is designed in survival mode.
1: Yeah. So this, So that's what I was going to say is what you're communicating about balance, I communicate the same truth with a different metaphor, and it's that the body is wired for survival. Mm-hmm. Shout out to um, my friend, uh, Abby Madden. I learned this from her. Your body is wired for survival. Um, it is wired to continue to exist and you know there's a, a metaphor or a you know a vernacular phrase that exists uh, surviving and thriving
0: mm-hmm.
1: I have adapted that metaphor for personal use and what I say is sometimes surviving is thriving uh, because sometimes survivings all you got right it's all you got the energy to muster. <laughs> And I think that truth exists in your body. It's sometimes surviving and living to fight another day is thriving. Um, and your body's designed to do that. Your body is designed to give you the shot at living to fight another day. Um, and there's something uniquely beautiful about that. If you carry the metaphor of resurrection and every day being a resurrection of the sun you know there's a great um gene stairs has a great book and in it she uses this metaphor that every day the sun is resurrected and every night it dies Mm -hmm. and the same truth exists for the moon um yeah and the moon is an even more full and beautiful metaphor because it's waning and waxing It's literally on a journey of depleting and refilling. Same as we are. Um, Yeah, there's a certain beauty to the concept that your body is designed to survive. And that's also why there's a certain beauty that we can say with our minds We get to enjoy another human Mm -hmm. that is surviving and thriving. Yeah. Um, And we look upon them with beauty and affirmation and divinity. Seeing the divinity within people. You know, some of the things that I find most attractive about people are the ways in which they love. That is a divine characteristic. Love is a characteristic of divinity. For example, I'm a single dude. I date. I tell every woman that I date, you can't meet my child. Like, you cannot meet my children. And inevitably, they always want to ask no. Like, they always want to know why. The real reason is because that feels really vulnerable for me, and I'm not ready to do it. And I eventually tell them that. But my, like, quick, easy response that's light and playful Um, that I use is because you'll fall in love with me. And I think that's true, not necessarily. It's light and playful, but the reason I bring it up is because that has certainly been true for me. The people I fall most in love with, I've fallen most in love with them watching them love other people. Yeah. The things that you do with the human body and the way in which you admire the divinity of a human is certainly first and foremost about the ways in which they love. Um, And so it must be with the same love that we look upon them with our divine sight. It must be with that same love and care and affection that we look upon them and admire them for their beauty.
0: Thanks for listening to the Practicing Presence podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.